What's going on, everyone? Mike O back with another episode of Hobby Talk. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. Super excited to be joined by Brent, also known as Nearmint Musings over on YouTube. Brent, how you doing today? Mike, I'm doing fantastic. This is a long time coming. I am super stoked to be on the show with you. Looking forward to talk about some cards, my friend. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this episode for a while, but sometimes life just gets in the way and trying to match up schedules from, you know, literally completely across the country uh, can be difficult, but we've made it. We're here. We're ready to go. We're ready to talk a little bit about the hobby, talk a little bit about sports cards, baseball cards in particular. It's been uh, an insane year and a half. I say it all the time. But this is the reality we live in. The card market is red hot. In some ways, that's a good thing. It's cool to have a collection that has increased in value. And it's pretty cool when you have friends and relatives and stuff kind of bring up sports cards to you, something they generally would have no interest in because they're hearing about it on the news or they're hearing about it from someone else. But there's a set of negatives that comes along with it as well, like, well seeing news articles or even hearing on the news radio um, that Target's no longer selling sports cards due to insane behavior, but they're all things we'll get into. Um, Brent, obviously the last, what, 15 months or so have been uh, something we've never really experienced, both in the real world and in the hobby, even the increased demand of the late 80s, early 90s. I don't, I don't think it was ever like this, was it? No, it really wasn't. And, you know, you talk about, you know, how long it's been since, you know, everything, quote unquote, changed. 2019 seems like, you know, 1989 sometimes. And you think about some of the cards that you said, you know, the junk wax era, that it's it's insane. You know, I'm a big Griffey fan and I, I can't touch a 90 Donruss graded anymore. You know, who'd have thought? Times are a changing, my friend. Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> There's so many cards you look at and you're like, wow, I literally had years to add that card to the collection at just insanely low prices, probably too low, but that's just what, that's what the values were. And now it makes it that much more difficult. I don't know who it's more difficult for because I hear constantly people say, man, I feel really bad for people just entering the hobby, but for some people just entering the hobby, like these prices are what they know. That's the cost of getting in. That's the cost of collecting for people who've been around for a while. It's kind of like you look at stuff and you're like, I literally had a decade or two to acquire that card, but there was no urgency. So I still hadn't done it. And it's hard to justify paying say $80 for a card that you could have purchased at $15 for so long. So I guess like anything in life, it's a debatable subject, but I mean, it can be difficult. Uh, and even that goes for the new products as well, like buying a wax box or something that you want to break. Say Top's Finest, typically $105, $120, and suddenly pre-sales are like three, dollars $400. It's hard to justify uh, buying stuff like that. So you do have to adjust um, in so many ways, whether you're a grading collector, whether you're a singles collector, whether you're a box breaker, everything has increased in price. And even the ways things are being distributed, um, if you're someone who's into grading, everything has become more complicated and more difficult. 
so Brent, we, we all cope with that in our own kind of way, but how have you survived the spike? Like what adjustments have you had to make to your kind of collecting habits? Well, it, it's interesting you brought up, you know, the nostalgia part and cards that we could have had for so much cheaper back then. And then maybe we did and got rid of them just because they were cheap. Um, I think of it's, it's a kind of a, it's a two sides of the coin. I think a lot of the new people coming into the hobby, they don't even know what the junk wax era was. So there's kind of like a, Hey, a 1989, 1990, 1991 card. They don't know the, 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 the glut that came into the market and how just how many cards there were. If they see a Griffey graded card, they don't care that there was, you know, literally millions of them made. Right. So I, I think, you know, whether that causes the prices to go up or not, it's that nostalgia factor for new collectors. Now, conversely for someone like myself, who that was when I was truly collecting as a kid, I look at it and part of me is like, I shake my head and I was like, off my eighties lawn, you new guys, this is, this is, you know, this is my era and this was, you know, I, I embrace it, but it also makes me be introspective and kind of look at my collection and appreciate those moments when I was a kid and hold on to those cards that I still have from that era even more dearly. Now, whether I want to, you know, venture into the world of grading a card from that era, that's another thing, but it really does look causes me to look introspectively and just kind of hold on to that nostalgia. I think a little more than I would have in the past because just the market is so crazy right now. And the spotlight is so bright that it um, kind of puts blinders on for me, at least to look at the things in the past that uh, caused me to be a collector in the first place. Yeah, an adjustment is necessary. Um, like I said, for many reasons, one, sometimes the items you might want to add are just flat out not available or they're, you're just being priced out. And, you know, there's different adjustments you can make. One is purchasing some lower end stuff or purchasing some base stuff, um, kind of adjusting, going after some players that you have memories of that really your general audience, especially the people coming in now, the investors and flippers are going to have no interest or focus on. You could still get a lot of right. that stuff at uh, very affordable prices. But another thing that I think most collectors do struggle with many times, it's very common at least I should say, is enjoying what you have, enjoying your yep. collection, uh, relishing your collection, because we're always looking forward to the next thing. Oh, these are the top 10 cards I would like to add to the collection. Oh, this new product's coming out, you know, this and that. And I've found myself a lot lately just kind of making time to just look at and enjoy what I have, whether it's you know, digging out a box of graded stuff, like vintage things, and just flipping through it, or grabbing a monster box of commons or a box filled with top loaded Phillies inserts slash parallels, rookies, whatever it might be with kind of a variety of different eras, you know, stuff in the eighties, nineties, two thousands up to 2020, or, you know, grabbing some of my kind of biggest treasures, uh, some of the slabbed vintage stuff and just literally sitting there just looking through the cards and going, Damn, how lucky am I to own a Jackie Robinson <laughs> card? How lucky am I to right. have a Satchel Page card to have made that purchase, to have uh, made the decision to make the purchase when I did? Because those are cards that have you know gone up fivefold in some cases, and even the whole binder thing, which 
you know, you don't hear or see a lot of binder videos content put out on YouTube, which we refer to because we're both uh, members of the YouTube community. We both make videos and take in content there. And of course, nowadays, there's so much stuff with Instagram and Facebook groups and such, so many. But either way, a lot of the focus right now in those areas is the flip, the investment, you don't see a lot of the binder stuff, which you did in the day, because that's more of a collector's thing. And uh, I have my Phillies Ultimate Tops team set, and there have been a few days where I've just pulled it out. And I just, like, sometimes I'll definitely focus on some of the stuff from, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And I just flip through, and I'll have memories kind of flashback from 93, one of the, you know, more exciting seasons in Philadelphia baseball history. Um and then even some of the tough times in the late 90s, and I just flipped through and go, wow, this team sucked. What the hell was wrong with me when I was 15? Like, I thought this team could win more than 60 games. How did they even manage to win 60 games? You look at some of the, uh, you know, the bet- better players from those teams, and you're like, wow, I was really lucky to see Scott Rowland and Kurt Schilling and Bobby Abreu, like three really good players, um, in some cases borderline Hall of Famers, guys who will at least last on the ballot for a while. Um, but then it's kind of funny to laugh at some of the guys like, man, this guy got a baseball card. He hit like 170 <laughs> in his career. So it's always tough with the guys who are rough, like while they're playing with your team, cause it frustrates you. But like 10 years later, it's, it could be a good laugh. hundred percent. It's, it's, you know, as, as talking about that, I'm, you know, reflecting on my days I've grown up and continue to be a Seattle Mariners fan. And there is not a team on the planet, at least in American sports that have had a longer playoff drought than the Seattle Mariners. And I feel it, you know, and there's kind of like this weird kind of like, it's almost become ironic, you know, the Mariners just got no hit last night. So it's like, okay, cool. Now we can get on with the season because the Mariners got no hit. Uh, there seems to be a yearly thing, but I was to your point, there's nothing more therapeutic than a binder or a box rummage where you just reflect and you look at it and you enjoy. You read the backs of the cards. You read the stories. I have a 1993 um, Topps Finest Refractor of Chris Bosio, which wouldn't be your number one or your number 30th pick if you had to choose somebody from that set. But in 1993, I just happened to be at a Mariners game on a Wednesday night, a buddy of mine, decided let's just go to a game nothing else to do there'll be about eight thousand people in the kingdom that night and we witnessed a no hitter speaking of no hitters we actually um got a no hitter omar biscale barehanded a slow roller to a shortstop and threw it for the uh, final out chris bazio got himself a no hitter and i have a 93 refractor to of him on my shelf it's not gonna be worth much to anybody you know maybe chris bazio's mom would have one but that's about it and it means the world to me because that's the the memories that you've built with the team that you have been a part of for your whole life. And I would take that card any day over, you know, a Fernando Tatis 2021 refractor. You know what I mean? It's just those are the memories that are built into it. Now, hopefully in 20 years, somebody will look back on a 2021 Fernando Tatis refractor and say, that's the year, you know, and that's what it's all about. And just to hold on to it, reflect and enjoy what you have. It's so easy to get caught up in the noise and the craziness. If a guy hits two home runs last night, all of a sudden his cart goes up, you know, 50% the next day. It's easy to get caught up into it, but it's 
more enjoyable, I think, as you said, to just enjoy the connections you have to the past with the cards you have. Yeah, my favorite collectors, my favorite channels and such, and there's a lot of people who put out a lot of great content, but it's the people who are the... who not only collect and show off some cool cards and have cool collections, but it's the people who love the hobby, people who love the cards, people who love collecting and people who love the game Yep, and have the memories and like your Chris Basio thing. I instantly just think of my no hitter connections and being lucky enough on August 15th, 1990 to be at veteran stadium with my dad and my brother, Tom, and we were able to witness Terry Mulholland's no hitter. And I mean, it was awesome. I was eight years old. I want to say, and it's just awesome. like, I was always, and I always liked Terry Mulholland as is. Cause I was left-handed. He's left-handed. I used to try and emulate his pickoff move, you know, out in the yard or even, uh, in little league games and such. And, you know, just to see that no hitter and witness history. And I've always collected Terry Mulholland cards. And, you know, at this point, 30 some years later, of course, I'm not sitting there searching eBay for Terry Mulholland every day, but, and I have the majority of the base cards you could have, but every now and then I'll just search and I'll find some cool parallel or something. And that's an awesome connection. Somehow I was lucky enough to see two no hitters actually. And I did, uh, I was at Roy Halliday's no hitter in the postseason against Dang. the Cincinnati Reds, uh, with my brother. Oh, Andrew. And it's just a bond you have. And like, when I look at Roy Halladay cards, obviously I think back to his tremendous career as is, right? Hall of Fame pitcher. And, uh, you know, his short time in Philadelphia, three, four, five years, whatever it was, um, where he was incredible. You know, won the Cy Young, threw a perfect game, threw a no-hitter. And I always think back to, you know, him as a whole being how, how good he was. But I, I think back to that moment and, like, being at a playoff game and going – Oh my goodness, like he's throwing a no hitter, like literally the second no hitter in postseason history. Um, and I think back to spending time with my brother uh Andrew and stuff, and like it's just it's just crazy. And that that's what makes the hobby great. Like yep. sure, values and all that, and like that stuff is fun too, but like that's not what makes the hobby great. Like the hobby People talk about like, will there be a crash and a correction and all this stuff? It's like, those are all things if you have a lot of money tied up, which, you know, if you collect, you probably do. They're all things to pay attention to and be aware of. But like the hobby's not going anywhere. They've produced baseball cards in some format for 125 years. Like they will continue making baseball cards. Will they always be the hottest thing in the world? Probably not. They'll be ebbs and flows there'll be spikes and drop-offs all that stuff's gonna happen that's just part of reality but like if you're a collector like that's part of you i see people talk about quitting the hobby and this and that and it's like do you really love the hobby because you don't have to quit the hobby you can take breaks i'm not saying you have to go over the top buying stuff um i certainly am full on like i refuse to pay some of the prices that hobby boxes are if i get a blaster at retail sweet am i paying two or three times for a blaster box absolutely not it's just straight up not worth it but i can still find singles of some sort there's stuff to find so 
it's a great hobby for many reasons. And just like life, the memories, the memories you make, both with the people you meet and with the connections uh, from your past, that that's the absolute key. That's the most important aspect of the hobby, in my personal opinion. I, I couldn't agree more. It's like, isn't it crazy that um, a square piece of cardboard can evoke so much nostalgia and memories? Like when I was looking at my cards just a couple of weeks ago and I went through my 93 Mariner set, of course, when I get to Basio, the first thing I do is I text my buddy who went to that game that night because we're still really good friends. I go, remember what happened this night? He goes, yeah, I do. He goes, remember, you know, remember where we ate before we went to the game? And I'm like, it's so like you even had a deeper connection and remembrance of it. And that's what it's all about, man. It's like, you know, you look at cards from maybe the first game you went to with your dad or the one that you, you know, for me, the first car, the game I took my kid to, you know, and um, or maybe something happened on a certain day in history that correlates to a game. And you see a card that reminds you of that. I just you and I need to make sure that the tangibility of the hobby doesn't just go all digital because that's going to be a sad day. I know that digital is what it is, but if, if tops bunt is where it's going, then uh, it's just, it's, you got to have a card in your hand, right? You have to have that, that feel and that collectability that goes into a binder or a box or a penny sleeve or a one touch or a slab. Um, but you know, it is 2021 and digital, you know, that's what the kids are into. I get that. So it's it's nostalgia, and that's the beautiful part of the hobby, my friend. There's no doubt about it, because as you're saying that, I'm just more things are popping in. Because you know, you touch <laughs> on a few things. I'm thinking like Mickey Morandini is major league debut. I remember being at that game, and I remember being so excited the first time I found a baseball card of him. Uh, he went on to have a really nice career. You know, one time All Star, yep. member of the '93 Phils, but really good player overall. And you know, you're talking about even moments in history. I remember being at Citizens Bank Park the night um, they made the announcement about Osama bin Laden. I was at that game and you see like YouTube videos of people like showing off um, highlights from that game with the crowd chant USA and stuff like that. Like, and it just goes on like that. And that's, that's a beautiful thing about sports in general and uh, baseball in particular. And, you know, I always kind of tell people, I'm like, listen, I get it. Sports isn't the most important thing in life but sports is a pretty important thing it's uh it's pretty big it it just it's one of those things that just connects to so many things it helps build relationships between fathers and sons with brothers friends it it connects people it helps you kind of remember a timeline you know you think about you're talking about um your buddy with the chris bazio no hitter and i can think back to like moments in 08 with the phillies like i remember the matt stairs home run uh where i was for that i remember where i was jimmy rollins in 2009 his walk-off triple to uh to beat the dodgers obviously i remember being at citizens bank park with my dad um as the Phillies clinched the World Series, just a surreal moment in 2008. Uh, so many uh, great memories. And when I see cards uh, depicting these things, which there are cards out there, and they're certainly very affordable cards, usually some sort of base card and such, like it just, it just brings you back. And that's what I think is, I always feel bad when I, and it might sound weird because everyone's going to have different things in their life that connect them to all this stuff. But like people are like, yeah, I don't like sports. I don't get sports. And I'm like, man, I feel like you're missing out on so much stuff. 
and I, you know, I get up, you know, some people get mad, you know, over the years, like I would tell my mom, I was like, she's a teacher, very pro education. And I think education is very important, but I would tell her, I was like, if given the chance, a kid should skip school and go to opening day with his dad, yep. if that's ever a possibility, you will get more out of that. That would be a lifelong memory than you'll ever get out of that one day at school. So that's just 100%. a little education hot take from from me right there. <laughs> but that's something I've always brought up. I'm like, it doesn't get any better than that, you know? Unless, you right. know, you skip school in high school and get excited for Jim Tomey's first game at Veteran Stadium, final year of the vet, and Joe Roa starts with the Phillies and – before the Phils ever come to the plate, Reggie Sanders has hit a grand slam and the Pirates are up 6 nothing. you know. But you still remember it, right? <laughs> yeah, you're remembering it right now. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's interesting, you know, again, we could go back and forth for hours while we're just thinking about memories. But I think of the 1995 Mariners season, which was a magical season for us that culminated with, you know, the famous Edgar Martinez double in the ALCS against the Yankees in game five. Griffey across um, home plate. Oh God. And just getting mobbed by the team, you know, and but a lot of people forget that we tied the angels that season and had to have a one game playoff to get into the playoffs. Cause we had a meteoric rise at the last end of that season. And the angels had a complete free fall and we just met the last game of the season and we tied and we had to have a one game playoff. And, um, I'll always remember watching this with my wife. I was engaged to at the time where I was over at her house, her house and we watched this game and Joey Cora with his drag bunt that just um, slid into um, first. He slid into first base, but allows Louis Soho to score. And, you know, you got Randy Johnson on the mound. You got all, you know, all, all bats on deck, you know, and just the utter euphoria that the Mariners finally, finally made it into the playoffs um i shared that with my with my wife and we'll, we'll talk about that all the time she loves joey cora for that very reason that became her favorite mariner instantly you know and then fast forward to when the mariners unfortunately lost and joey was showing on the bench you know crying because he's just emotionally just connected and those are the memories that we still to this day reflect on i have that game on a vhs and i have a i have a um VCR just so I can play that VHS because that's, you know, that's what you do, right? You relive it in all its glory, all its grainy, you know, pixelated, terrible sounding glory. I can go on YouTube anytime and watch that game, but just to sit down and watch it like that, it's just, you know, maybe that's just the, you know, the Gen Xer in me, but um, it, it's a beautiful thing. You know, we could, we could talk all day about just the nostalgia that baseball collecting and any sports, but a, a a life devo devoid of sports. I don't know what that life is. And we felt it for the first few months of 2020 when baseball wasn't happening. I just, you know, I was just walking into a wall. I didn't know what to do with myself. It's like, there's no baseball. What am I supposed to do? And, you know, I, I'm exaggerating a bit, but that's kind of what you feel like because you're so connected to it. And um, we need sports, you know, whether you have to be a sports person or not. I mean, we need it. I mean, how can you not look back on moments, you know, with Lou Gehrig, you know, on, on the field, and obviously we weren't there, but you, you see it. I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. You know, just those kind of moments that transcend sports. There's so many sports moments that transcend sports. And um, those are the moments that you can always meet halfway with those that are naysayers to sports and say, Hey, you know, we can always agree on this. This is pretty special. 
And, you know, and most people would say, yeah, you're right. And then maybe that'll, you know, that's a gateway to get him into baseball, but gotta love it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And it's definitely awesome to reminisce over all that great stuff. And last year was tough. It was, uh, it was obviously a bizarre year that we we'd never seen uh, before, and having to wait till August for the first baseball game was ridiculous. Like June and July, it was just it was so weird. It was just like what 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 am I supposed to? Like, I'm supposed to be able to go home and count on watching you know a baseball game every night. Yeah. Phillies, yep. you know, five, six, seven times a week, and maybe someone else, you know, uh, once or twice a week, whatever you can and. You couldn't do that, so you kind of learn that you can't take everything for granted, um, and that's you know a lesson you can learn in the hobby too. Really, you know, with so many things, uh, and there's so many awesome things to collect. You know, kind of getting back to the card thing, I have found myself, especially as this hobby spike has continued, and I've been going this way for a while, but moving more and more onto the vintage side of things, just. interest level vintage pre-war i mean i find that stuff fascinating and i love the new stuff too but especially when it's like 500 dollars for a a rookie card of someone who isn't in the majors yet and i'm like i could buy this whole vintage card for you know 50 bucks or 100 bucks or sometimes even cheaper i mean it just piques my interest and i've just found the pre-war stuff just fascinating just just feel like you're always discovering a new rare set. And some of them are just so difficult to find. If you have an opportunity to purchase and you can afford it, sometimes you just want to jump on that because it might be a year or two before you see that come around again. Uh, we're definitely going to get into an ultra modern set coming up. But before we uh, we do that, just kind of want to get your thoughts on some of the uh, vintage, the modern. I know you're big into the 90s stuff as well. What what? aspects of the hobby eras of the hobby have you really found yourself focusing on as of late or over the course of the last year or so i it, it's interesting to say that because one thing that i've kind of gone a direction i've gone into is latin american baseball players and um started with edgar martinez which i know is more modern he's puerto rican that's where my wife is from that's her heritage so i've kind of you know the last 20 plus years been involved with with her family and been to Puerto Rico a couple of years ago and just saw the level of love for Roberto Clemente, of course. And I've started collecting him more in earnest and I've actually have his um, uh, 55 to um, 73, yeah, 73 um, top space set. I've completed that raw. Um, I have his rookie card graded. It's an, it's a, it's a poor one, but it's, it looks beautiful and i will never ever 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 get rid of that card but i found myself kind of looking more at um latin baseball players mini minoso is another one that i've gotten into lately and he's just an amazing amazing person and what comes with these um, players is these stories that you can just dive into and a lot of these vintage latin baseball players came up through the negro leagues and just you know then you get into the you know the, the struggle and the things that they went through to get to where they're at and you just are overwhelmed with these amazing stories and then you find out that you know Roberto Clemente's best friend was Manny Sanguian who's from Panama where my wife was actually born and then you you know start talking about Manny Sanguian and what, what the life that he lived and how he was connected to Roberto Clemente and then you um 
just kind of go spider webs and it's a beautiful thing of finding players that you've never heard of and that's the beauty of it you find a 1956 graded card of this guy that's from you know venezuela that you never heard of but he's got a story to tell and you know and you can pick up his rookie card graded you know a psa 6 for 25 bucks and it, there's a story that comes with that card so that's re- something i've really been focusing on on vintage side is just finding these kind of obscure stories that these players have and you know ideally sometime i'll be you know doing some videos that'll be highlighting some of these um these players and the stories that they have and the connections they have to other players and just you know they're trying to tell their story because it maybe it hasn't been told enough and um just really find myself really engrossed with their history i love the uh vintage commons and so so many of them are obviously so affordable and i Obviously, there's just such a there's so much junk wax era commons and modern commons available, but the vintage obviously a little tougher to come by, and there's just something super fun about kind of collecting them, picking them up at a couple bucks a piece, and yeah. you think about it, it's like this guy was he made an impact. He was a major leaguer, had a baseball card, and made an impact on the game in some way. He was some kid's favorite player. Some kid got a foul ball from him or got something signed from him. Like, I don't, I like thinking about stuff like that. It's pretty cool. I love that. And then when you go to the pre-war stuff, like if you can ever find any information on the guy, it's, uh, it's pretty fun too. Sometimes it's tough to get too much information, but you'll like read about, well, this guy played in the majors for eight years and then he went to one of the other leagues and then he kept trying to coach or umpire. And then there's different players that next thing you know, you're reading about how they, you know, move down south and started a, you know, a farm and stuff like it's just, yep. it's interesting stuff and all this jobs I had to do, you know, just to kind of figure out how to get by. So information, information is definitely something that is overlooked in today's hobby too. It's all just kind of like, oh, what have you done for me in the last week? You yep. know, and what are you going to do in the next week where I can make a quick buck and it's not really looking into the story or looking into information or even watching and seeing how things unfold. And and it's just so reactive. Like I look at Juan Soto and his market, I believe is down like 15 or 20% cause he's been banged up. He, he's had an okay yeah. year, but not a great year. It's like, dude's like 21 years old. It's won a world series, been incredible. He's got a long way to go. I mean, and you're worried about what he's done in the last three weeks. That's crazy. Right. You know, it's, it's, you see that and it's like, it, I almost feel stressed just thinking about that. It's like, if, I can't imagine. And I get it. I, I have you know, a few Juan Soto cards myself, but just basing everything on just, like you said, what have you done for me lately? It's like, you know, Fernando Tatis, that's another guy, you know, if he's not having a shoulder issue, then, you know, he's out for COVID protocol. And then you got Ronald Acuna that hurts his wrist. And then you got all these guys that are just like, you're literally hanging on every single at bat they have hoping they're not going to get hurt, not because you want the Braves or the Nationals or the Padres to win. You don't want the value of your card to go down. And I think that kind of in and of itself can detract some of the joy out of the hobby and out of watching games and collecting. Now, you know, I'm not saying that you're that tied into your cards that, you know, you're hanging on every single pitch, but the way the market is right now, like you said, Soto's down X amount of percent just because he hasn't played because he's been banged up. I'd rather just, you know, go look at my, you know, 1913 Walter Johnson and just reflect on that amazing 
amazing year he had pitching and um, reflect on his story and what he went through and, you know, his, his amazing career and be thankful, like you said earlier, just to have something like that in the collection where you can look at it and say, this guy was the best pitcher on the planet over a hundred years ago. And somebody made this card over a hundred years ago and who knows who's handled it. The story of the card itself could tell, but it is sitting on my mantle in my office right now. And that's, that's just, you know, as I'm talking about that, I mean, this is going to sound kind of stupid. I get chills talking like that. Like I would rather have that tell a story than, you know, the Fernando Tatis refractor rookie that I have that, you know, I haven't looked, maybe it's gone down 20% as well. Cause he's been out. So super blessed and thankful to have that stuff like that. Those pre-war cards and stories they can tell amazing. Absolutely. And there's just so many, uh, so many awesome cards and so many cool things to collect. And, you know, we all make mistakes in the hobby and sometimes we have a chance to correct those mistakes. I know for me, uh, I did finally buy a, 53 tops Jackie Robinson just an awesome card that I've always Ooh. loved bought one a couple yep. years ago and I did not like the card one of the few cards I ever bought I didn't like I love the card I didn't like that particular card just like weird marks very distracting and I remember uh, selling it off with the full intention of replacing it just purchasing a copy that I would like better and mm-hmm. sold it kept thinking about buying another didn't 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 this year, thankfully, I did finally reintroduce one to the collection. I think I even went down a grade, but the card looks infinitely better. So that just goes to show grading is obviously subjective. I had to pay probably like $200 more than I sold the last one for. Of course, since that time, it's probably doubled in price. So whatever, that's yeah. all. Regardless, the bottom line is that's a card that I felt the need to have into my collection and I'm just super happy and thankful to have it. Um, there's some other cards that I have certainly put off and at some point I guess I'll have to just pay up because I don't see some of them dropping down because a guy like Jackie Robinson is not necessarily going to go on an 0 for 20 streak and I don't think he's going on the DL anytime soon so I don't see that no. market uh, moving but there's uh, a lot of awesome cards there's you know a whole history of baseball and a whole history of baseball cards and I feel like too many people right now are bunched up on well what was released in the last 12 months and like that's the only thing I don't know what to do there's nothing available on the shelves take a look back there's a lot a lot to uh, choose from you're absolutely right. I mean, I have a 1953 Jackie as well. I got it about oh, a year ago. I think it's a PSA two. And it was just one of those cards. That I didn't have any Jackie Robinsons. And that was the one that I wanted even more than his 52. I mean, obviously his 52 is going to be infinitely more, but I always loved the 1953 and it is right on my desk in my office. So I can look at it every day, you know, to reflect on a, that I'm thankful that I have it, but B just what he means to again talk about someone who transcends the hobby in sports right jackie robinson and um i mean everybody wears his number every year in in honor of him for for all that he's done and it's just one of those things that you can't replace that man if you have the ability um to get a card it doesn't have to be a 53 jackie it can be a you know it can be a 73 roberto clemente it can be a you know a 72 Willie Mays. It doesn't need to be, you know, 
a certain players for you, whatever you feel that that's a card that you want because it means more than what everybody else says it should mean. That's the problem sometimes is kind of get caught up on, well, I need to get this card. Why? Well, because everybody's getting it. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be getting it. Get what you want for the right reasons and then reflect on it often. Um, I think that'll keep a lot of us grounded. I know it does me when I find myself going off on tangents with the hobby. So, Yeah, we're all going to have different tastes. Some of us like yep. different sets a little more than others. Some of us are going to like different cards and different photos on cards than others. Like, I love 52 yep. tops, but honestly, I know most people get mad at me, but it's not my favorite set. Like, I like it. Me, I like it a lot. Me either. But I actually yeah. like 53 better. Me too. Um, so, 100%. You know, we all like different stuff. Um, and I love that 53 Jag. I love a lot of those 53 cards. I uh, missed out on a set break a week or two ago, and I was so upset because it was fairly affordable, not super cheap Ooh. either. But it was like one of those, I don't care. I'd be happy with the common cards. I mean, yep. obviously, you know, I'd be chasing one of the cards. It's kind of tough to come by, like a mantle or maze that I don't have. And I certainly wouldn't uh, be upset with pulling Jackie or Satchel Page or one of them, but... Even so, even if I ended up with a couple common cards, I would be able to look at them and be like, dude, these are awesome. They're just straight up awesome. 100%. So, so many amazing cards in this hobby. Um, uh, Ultra Modern set that came out last year that obviously I'm a fan of. If anyone out there listening that follows uh, my channel at all is aware that I'm an Alan Ginter fan, specifically autographed Alan and Ginter cards. And I know you've expressed uh, expressed that you enjoyed this set that Topps put out last year. And it, it's a set that when it was announced, a lot of people kind of laughed at it. Um, 2020 Topps Alan and Ginter Chrome. And as an Alan Ginter fan, when that was announced, I agree. I was kind of like, eh, doesn't sound necessary. I'll take it because I like Alan and Ginter cards, but didn't seem like it was a set that was necessary. But you could say that about the majority of sets that are put out, right? But Alan and Ginter Chrome came out pretty short rented overall. The uh, sealed boxes have kind of gone through the roof a bit. And the singles are super tough, but damn, those cards are beautiful. The base cards look amazing. The refractors are unbelievable. I know you've shared your love of the gold refractors, I believe, which are super sweet. Yeah. And, you know, the orange, the red, they aren't, they're not too shabby either. I'm not huge on the green refractors, but of course, if it's a player yeah. I like, I'll take it. But, uh... What uh? What are some thoughts on that set, that Allen and Ginter Chrome set that really didn't um? It wasn't met with a lot of excitement when it was announced, but when it was put out, I mean, obviously it's captured some sort of audience because those singles are not easy to find. No, they really aren't. You know, it, it came out. You know, they were just kind of, towards the end of 2020. There was just seemed like a lot of sets. I think Topps Chrome Black was another one that was new. And then Alan Ginter Chrome came out either right before or right after it. And I was skeptical as well. And the first one that I got, um, the gold refractor, was the Roberto Clemente, just because I looked at it and I just loved the way that it looked with his um, black and yellow uniform. 
And when I got it in hand, I'm like, oh man, these are these just tick every box for me because they're modern, but they have that Allen and Ginter vintage vibe to them. So for me, it just ticks all the boxes. So um, I was able to over the this past few months add a few of the gold refractors specifically you know latin players um past and present so you know they'll be like you know um edgar martinez of course because i collect him you know some hall of famers pudge rodriguez um nelson cruz common is the guy that i collect that's a current player um juan marshall pedro martinez these are all guys that i've been able to pick up over the last few months in a gold refractor but you're right you you have to wait for them you have to and then and then ultimately try not to overpay for them because they're not easy to find and you can find them for a decent price, but I would recommend to anybody, I'm sure you'd agree, get a refractor, especially if it's in a, if it's the color of your, uh, you know, team or player, like for you, for the Phillies for red, I would imagine it would be fantastic. If you're like an A's collector, maybe get the Reggie Jackson. I th- actually, I think he's in the Yankees uniform. So you probably wouldn't want that one. Um, but well, the Ricky Henderson, get that in the green. Maybe if you have like a, um, Cowerkin Jr. get in the orange and you'll be glad you did because it really, really pops. Um, and they're a lot of fun. So I'm I'm curious to see. And I don't know, are they planning on doing a 2021? They I did heard. announce 2021. Um okay. so start start the, saving now. The right. pre-sale prices are very expensive. Uh yeah, no shock there. But I do think the prices will rise, and that was a product that may or may not uh, will not confirm at this time, but may have a pre-order on because okay, figured I'd lock into it. Um, definitely something I would like to break a little bit of at the very least, and we'll be looking at some singles as well. I I believe this year they are including. I think they've added a blue refractor. They have, correct. Which I right. think will add um it will add to that color coordination for some teams. It'll definitely 100%. Uh, match up a little bit. Um yep. I would prefer that to the green. Green's just one Me of those too. colors is a little awkward unless, you know, if you have an athletics card it looks super sweet. Yeah. But when I have like a Bryce Harper green, I'll take it for my collection, but I'm like, this looks like a Christmas card. He's wearing his red cap kind of. and he's got the oh, green right. in the yeah. background. It's like it's crazy. <laughs> um but that was a fun set. I unfortunately, well, no, I lied. I forgot. I ended, actually ended up opening more than I probably should have with my dad. The first, we opened a case and the case hit the autograph. And it's a great autograph checklist. Like most of the autographs are awesome. Like Joey Votto is the second worst. And obviously he's a really good player, but his hobby wise is a little lower. But by far the worst autograph you could pull is Patrick Corbin. Again, who's a nice pitcher. And, of course, we hit Patrick <laughs> Corbin. I was like, oh. Of course we did. It was so yes. disappointing. Uh, but later on, I did hit an orange redemption for Bo Bichette auto. And, there you go. And uh, did end up getting a Jordan Alvarez orange auto as well. So well, that's a good one, orange on orange. That's yeah, good. did really right. well with that. Obviously, it matches yeah. Astros really well. Yeah. Would love to hit a trout. And I think I might be wrong. Um, but that's got to be one of the last like on card Hank Aaron autographs. Has got to be from Ginter Crow. He was. I think you're too. right. And uh, yep. obviously that would be a spectacular card. But Whew. but that's a beautiful set. And another set that I'm actually looking forward to 2021. I think it's going to be super expensive. Is I think it's called Topps Chrome Platinum. I think it's a 52 set. I'd have to look it up. 
Yes, that's right. But that's going to be that. uh, that's going to be really pricey. And I, but I think it's going to be awesome. And a lot of people will be ticked off because it's a huge set. Like I think it's like a five hundred card set, and you don't get many common cards in in a box. Like I think a box you might get like ninety cards or something, maybe even less oh, wow. than that. But that'll be something that like I'm super looking forward to because I I like. I love vintage and I love modern and ultra modern, whatever you want to call it. So I like that Chrome technology. And when you have it, when you have the mesh of the mm-hmm. vintage design with the Chrome, with that like modern shine, like dude, that set, if it's affordable and sometimes some of these sets, people do look at a refractor and they're like, ah, it's just a refractor and refractors are super tough pulls in some of these sets. Like Ginter Chrome, I think the refractors are super underpriced and i you could say the same thing about like finest flashback because you would have to open like three or four cases to get a mike trout refractor so if you can nab one for 20 bucks like that's an absolute bargain based on the cost of acquiring that card it would cost you like eight thousand dollars um but that platinum edition like i can't wait to collect some of the hall of famers just players i you know i like and of course i'll do some of the phillies and some of the modern guys i like i just think that'll be a fun set uh to look forward to as well so have no fear you know there's plenty of products coming this year there'll be singles available uh just of course if you're out there collecting remember people are always looking forward to the next thing and moving on so quickly from stuff i know they'll there hasn't been a, a ton of stuff that's released recently but certainly before you know it i mean we're almost in june you'll have series two coming out and then you'll have Mm -hmm. tops chrome in july there'll be a big run on that and such so there's a lot of products to look forward to there's always something new to collect uh before we wrap things up brent i wanted to give you a few moments to talk about um you know one of the aspects of your collection uh an all-time great minnesota twin yeah, you know, Harmon's a big part of my family because that's where um, my family grew up in Idaho, and that's where Harmon was from. My uncle went to school with him, so I was kind of born into a twins family, even though we're from the Pacific Northwest, Idaho and Washington State. So when my uncle gave me a 1974 Tops autograph card of Harmon Killebrew, because my uncle worked at um, Harmon's auto dealership that he had in Payette, Idaho after Harmon retired. Um, I was kind of on that set on that trajectory, whether I liked it or not. So um, I've just grown to just appreciate everything about Harmon. Um, and that's was kind of my first foray into super collecting. Um, I have all of his tops graded cards from his rookie in 55 all the way through 1974. Yeah, brought up like, yeah, 74. Um, so yeah, just a huge fan of Harmon, and he's 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 kind of a overlooked guy in the in the in the hobby as far as Hall of Famers. I mean, he was a big bopper, he was a big basher, you know, kind of like an Aaron Judge type. You know, he's just gonna just hit some monstrous shots, but he struck out a lot. You know, he didn't get on base as much. He was an okay fielder, but he was just one of those kind of glamorous, like huge home run shot guys. And um, just you know, listening to the stories of my family growing up and how much they liked him and what they knew about him just kind of resonated with me um, as a kid. And then when I got into my teenage years, I started, you know, slowly getting some vintage of him. And then probably in the last five years, I've really fervently collected him. Um, just some all, all stuff, autographs, a lot of autographs of him. Um, 
And yeah, always, you know, he was one of the first guys I got with the Allen and Ginter Chrome as well. I was actually able to get the, the out of five red of him, which just looks fantastic in his twins uniform. So um, really blessed to have a player like that, that I, that I collect. He's, he's a lot of fun and still relatively affordable when it comes to, you know, vintage hall of famers. It's always great to be able to pick up a hall of famer of any kind, but especially a vintage one and not break the bank. And when you have a family connection and, you know, a history of following a player, I mean, that makes it all the more special. I kind of have a similar thing with Connie Mack, who has Philadelphia connection as longtime manager of the Philadelphia athletics. And it's just, it's just awesome. Once again, like we've talked about so much, all those connections just enhance the hobby experience Brent, it's been a been a heck of a conversation. Forty five plus minutes have just flown by. Wow. Uh, great time chatting with you, talking about the hobby, talking about baseball, talking about all the connections that we're able to share in this great hobby. And you know, there's ups and downs in everything in life, including the hobby. So, I mean, if at any point you are feeling down in the hobby, just check out your collection. Kind of reflect on what your collection means to you. It's definitely can be uh, some serious therapy that can help you kind of rekindle the joy of the hobby and, you know, just feel better overall, you know, in life sometimes too. So Brent, obviously you're, uh, you're out there participating in the YouTube community, checking out videos and such, and you make videos yourself near mint musings and Instagram as well. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's on my Instagram handle i don't know what you call them is killabruin k-i-l-l-e-b-r-e-w-i-n and i just post a bunch of you know cards in my collection yeah it's a lot of fun definitely make sure you check out brent's channel i will post some links in the description on the youtube version of this video and if you're listening elsewhere uh check out youtube check out all the channels out there, a ton of great collectors, especially if you're collectors based, you might have to do a little more digging because the YouTube algorithms are going to push you in the direction of uh, the investing angle. But there are a lot of collectors in the YouTube community as well. This podcast is featured on Spotify and iTunes and SoundCloud. So not everyone listening is on YouTube, but if you're not, I would check it out and you can get uh, some more information about both our channels and just showing off some of our collections. Brent, once again, thank you for joining me on this episode of Hobby Talk. It was a ton of fun and hopefully we'll have a chance to do this again. Heck yeah. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Have a great one.